0: to be you
1: is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way.
0: I Didn't
1: I did you?
0: for some good you is supportive. I'm in love with could you. make me be true.
1: Snap out of it! the
0: could make magnificence me that comes out of your eyes and your voice and the way you stand, stand there and the way you walk. So Lip so from you within, Tracy. It had to be you, wonderful you. It had to be you. Hello, Romantics. Welcome to a Pod to Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on a big screen. I'm your host, Nish Mother, and I'm continuing the queer romance mini series on the podcast, which has been a lot of fun. I'm getting to talk to a lot of my queer friends about their favorite movies and Today is no different having on um Gavin Mebius again after almost four years, which is crazy to wow. think about. You were one of the you're one of the early guests on the podcast. So thanks for coming back.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited, especially getting to talk about. I feel like I bent the rules a little bit, but we'll get to it. But yeah, thank you so much. I <laughs> I, I really enjoy being on the show, and I like the show a lot. So,
0: oh, thank you. I mean, I you know I love your show, uh, the mixed reviews, one of my favorite podcasts out there, and um, yeah, it's always always great to chat with you. Um, but would you like to introduce the film for us today?
1: sure uh today we're going to be talking about the 1998 uh it's listed as a musical drama i guess it is it's kind of a musical but velvet goldmine um velvet goldmine is the story of uh brian slade and his alter ego maxwell demon very loosely 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 based on david bowie and it's a music biography that travels through his rise and fall from 70, like I want to say 78 to 88, and through his loves and losses, and also following a reporter who's trying to figure out what happened to him after his supposed death on stage when a gunman took him out, uh, which was a hoax. Uh, to create some more mythics around him. I I say I cheated because I would say this film is not a conventional romance so much, Uh, but I love Velvet Goldmine and I really want to talk about it. But also, I do think it is a romance because I think um, Brian himself uh, is very romantic with several people throughout the movie. His mm-hmm. former wife, uh, who is played by Tony Collette, Mandy Slade, um, his boyfriend Kurt Wilde, who's played by Ewan McGregor, and his romance with his own career, which is something that he will s- literally stop at nothing to keep going. He will step on anyone to continue his his dream. And then also the romance that Christian Bale Playing Arthur Stewart, this this reporter who is investigating his supposed death uh, on the anniversary of it happening. He's in. It's interesting because he's experiencing romance with the idea of Brian Slade and the idea of this culture and this um, rising, uh, like gender expression, very queer, very gay glam rock lifestyle that Brian Slade embodied uh, and along the way, ending up having romantic encounters with some of the people from Brian Slade's life. And so I think it's this really beautiful movie. Also, Todd Haynes has said the film is a romance about music between the U S and Britain. So I think that all falls under the quantifier of (laughs) it's romance.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Having just done our bad romance mini series, I'm all about, you know, writing the rules. And you know, I, I admit that when you suggested the movie, I was like, Yeah, it's a musical biopic, it's about, you know, <laughs> sex, drugs, rock and roll, all that. But I mean it's like a fake biopic, I guess. Um, but I so I was kind of like, whatever, but I you know, I was like, I do remember there was a lot of romantic elements to it, but I you know, when I watched again, you know, the Christian and Bale segment of the movie actually like really stood out to me yeah um, and um i I forgot how much of a part of the movie it is. Uh, I think when I, I I saw this movie for the first time uh in, back in college, I guess this must have been around fifteen years ago or so. um, and uh so a lot of it had kind of faded my memory as we were saying before we were recording this movie is like really hard to find unless you buy it or rent it but it's not really you know discussed among Todd Haynes' movies right. as much as you know Carol and Far From Heaven and um Safe Are but um yeah i so but yeah the Christian Bale part of the movie really stood out to me they, in my memory i thought it was just like a framing device and he was just kind of in and out but um yeah that that part of it really out to me but i'd love to hear about your first time watching the film and kind of how it's changed and evolved for you over the years
1: oh well first of all a gentleman a gentleman never talks about his first time uh, but, uh, <laughs> I, I think i saw this movie god i was probably like 16 um on like a vhs or something like that and i was already really deep in love with david bowie and and the whole that whole aspect of glam rock from the 70s i'm not that old these were they were oldies when i was a kid don't worry but (laughs) but i i'd already fallen in love with this mythos and also i was because i'm very nerdy a, a burgeoning film guy so i'd already seen citizen kane and the other beautiful thing about this movie is the the framing device the christian bale portion is done as a like a sort of black mirror to Citizen Kane, where it's, you know, there's a lot of shots directly lifted from Citizen Kane. There's, you know, the the going to go interview the ex-wife, the ex-manager who's now in a wheelchair. And, you know, there's all these parallels that are built in because Todd Haynes is also a nerd. And so I, I really fell in love with that aspect of it. I think when I was a kid, though, I think it the things that stood out to me were a it was closeted, so any queer material that I could find with like hotness in it was like oh my god. Yeah. But also, um, I I loved just the the flamboyance of it you know there's several scenes in which brian Slade is literally covered head to toe in in um almost snake-like glitter and you know there's uh foppish clothes and there's all the talk of the mod and i think i really fell in love with the style as i've gotten older and really like imprinted on it i agree i think the christian bale stuff is it can't be overlooked because it, it does I think the first time you watch it, it does feel like a framing device and yeah, you're, you're with him and you experience what he's going through as he discovers if Brian Slade is actually dead or what happened to him. And, and this whole mystery that I, I don't want to give too much away about it because I actually really dig the mystery portion of it, which I feel like nobody ever talks about when they talk Mm -hmm. about this movie, but it's also about his coming out and his acceptance of himself through this time period through this music through this idol worship of maxwell demon and his cohorts and i think that's really beautiful and really fascinating and the movie's not given enough credit for that it's sort of a, a fantasia on those themes um but yeah it is interesting because i i it certainly has my opinion of the film certainly has changed over the years not so much in the like do i love it do i hate it like i've always loved it but just the the characters that I've committed to the characters that I've uh, relate to have certainly flopped, you know, this time watching it, I really kind of felt for Mandy Slade, which Mm -hmm. I was sort of shocked by because she's the character I've always thought of as kind of, um, you know, she's, she's wild. She's, she's, she's uh, Brian Slade. If Brian Slade had a conscience, yeah, (laughs) like she, get out of the life when when the going gets tough but until then she's very she's very much like him and i think that um this time i saw somebody who was really vulnerable who was brought into a life that she she truly thought she wanted and then when she was really exposed to the to the full hedonism of it to the idea that like she was now going to have to share her husband brian slade with the real person he loved, Kurt Wilde, Hugh McGregor's character, that she couldn't handle it. And I was like, oh, that's this is really sort of heartbreaking because I I do think she loves loved him a lot. And I think he loved her, but not in not quite as deeply because he, you know, he's his true love is Kurt. But I do think it's also really I I've never, I never remember this the scene towards the end where. She meets up with Kurt supposedly yeah. after Brian has died, and that scene is so tender. You never hear what they say. It's like a meeting between old friends. She like they're like forehead to forehead. They're backstage at a concert, and I and because I was zeroing in on her character so much this time, I was like, oh, this is really sweet too because she's also grown and she's like in a better place, and and she's able to realize that like this remnant of her former life is is something that she can look back on fondly and not as this you know stumbling block that that ruined her relationship and i i thought that was really beautiful um this has been very rambly i apologize but that's i i just think there's so many facets of this movie are, are so lovely uh, which is funny because this movie was sort of um the reason people don't talk about it is it's kind of poorly reviewed which blows my mind but I think that's because there's so many ideas in it. I don't want to say too many ideas, because I like the amount of ideas in it. But there are so many ideas in it that I think it's, you know, you you kind of it's 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 almost one of those movies you have to see once. And then when you see it again, you can form your opinions, which I hate. I hate I don't I don't wanna say that about any movie, but like. But I was watching it this time and I was like, no wonder th- critics hated it. The first 15 minutes, there's no plot. There's it's yeah. literally all world building. It's like yeah. all these flashes of a Brian Slade's career and newspapers and, and and little bits and the the stuff with Oscar Wilde, which I love, but like, you know, and, until you get towards the end when you realize like how it's all connected, <sighs> it you know, it's 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 a little impenetrable at first. And I think that's what critics were responding to sorry what 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 was your next thought
0: no i i I mean i agree with a lot of a lot of what you're saying and you know i i think it's funny because you know i'm talking about mandy you know played by you know our great tony collette um i i feel like when i watched this movie in college i was also half closeted half not and um you know in that sort of like limbo period where it's just kind of like you know, I don't know. Just you're figuring it out, and uh, I ended up just being like, "Oh, I got to watch this movie for like the gay content," you know, <laughs> and like right. the like you know the the like reputation this movie had was like all the nudity and sex and all that, and and, and, and so like
1: fa- famously, and not to not to cut you off, but like you know just to build on the Citizen Kane mythos, yeah, you know, supposedly he had went to David Bowie to ask for his permission, and David Bowie threatened to sue, and I've always wondered if part of that is a little trumped up to like match the Citizen Kane
0: yeah, when, yeah. it's,
1: when it's about your subject and the subject hates it. But David Bowie did see it uh, eventually. And his only compliment to the movie was that he thought the sex scenes were nice. So...
0: <laughs> I mean, that feels a very Bowie thing to say. Not that I know <laughs> that much about David Bowie, to be honest. But um, from what I know of him, uh, that sounds... the tracks. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like with Tony Collette, I just... I didn't appreciate her character as much back then because i was kind of like why am i watching you know this i mean this is like very my primitive days Like, i'm watching this like straight couple i want to get to like the you know the fun (laughs) stuff and of course now you know a little bit more light a little bit more experience a little bit more like knowledgeable about how like characters work and the complexity of human relationships and all that but um and and I agree. I mean, I agree about, you know, how this movie just might not have gotten best response because they yeah, like, it's what I call like an onslaught movie where it's just like, yes. everything is just like, it's aggressive and it's, and it's unap- unapologetic and it's does not really offer a lot of handholding. And you just kind of have to, especially with like the nonlinear storytelling and all that, you just have to like really just kind of let yourself get, kind of washed away by it and it all will click together and I agree it's definitely, it's definitely a movie that is only benefited by multiple watches um, and I, I, I'm I glad that I had to buy it because I feel like I'd want to watch this again <laughs> um, and uh, in fact I wish i had watched it twice for this podcast now that I'm thinking about it but um, I feel like it's there's such little hand-holding and such like Things need, you know, they need like time to click together. And that's something that I actually really appreciate by Todd Haynes. It's something that actually people don't talk about a lot, is that like even a movie that feels like straightforward, like Carol or Far From Heaven, um, or Dark Waters even, I feel like Oh yeah, very much need, dark waters. Um I feel like they need to like marinate more and that there's a lot of um a lot of really radical formalism in terms of, like, how he, you know, how he structures his story. I mean, I feel like he doesn't... I don't think in any of his movies he has very conventional ABC plotting. I know this is... Right. We, I, you know, of course, I just talked about Carol in the previous episode, so uh, if I repeat myself from here or there, talk about Todd Haynes, <laughs> I apologize, but it bears repeating because I don't think he gets that credit in that, like, he just really is, like... I mean... It's. I feel like this movie, and I'm not there. I feel very stream of consciousness, but I. It's not just that. I feel like he just plays around with you know, conventional structure, and he, and that's what makes his movies so queer. And is that like yeah. he doesn't do, you know, the hero's journey, or if he does, it's in this way that you don't. It's packaged in a way that you don't expect it.
1: Yeah, because especially this movie, the the nonlinearness of this. There's, it's. Interesting because oftentimes when you're doing something with a non-linear narrative, you see things multiple times. And what Todd Haynes is doing here with this one specifically is you're seeing same time periods multiple times, but you're never really seeing the same scene over and over and over again, except for that final concert. Uh, but like, you know, you're introduced to Mandy Slade already as a full-formed character before actually meeting Mandy Slade Mm -hmm. and getting her side of the story. And like that stuff is really fascinating. And the same goes for Kurt Wilde, you know, you're given a backstory of him from the point of view of Brian Slade's former manager, but you don't truly get to experience kurt wilde fully i want to say until maybe two-thirds of the movie is done even though Hugh mcgregor has been in a large portion of the movie because you're getting the sort of bad boy reputation of him and there's a more or you're getting you know mandy's how mandy saw kurt through brian's eyes yeah uh but you don't really get to see what happened really until mandy's finally like and this and this is how it started to end. And I think that's a really interesting thing. Cause that's a, another thing I really sort of glommed onto this time in watching it that I hadn't thought of before is that I, I do I do truly think Brian Slade loved Kurt Wilde, but I think that he saw kindred spirit in him in the idea that like it's this sort of hedonist pleasure. But Kurt Wilde's instincts are to destroy himself and that's the difference between slade slade could never actually destroy himself he could fake it but he can ever he could never actually like end himself and kurt's whole thing is ecstasy to the point of self-destruction which is really fascinating and and really you know like how do you love somebody that just wants to destroy everything especially themselves And so I found that to be a really interesting aspect that I guess I hadn't really thought of before because I hadn't thought of it as an adult and just being like, oh, wow, Kurt is, Kurt Wilde is wild. Yeah, um, I, that's
0: such an interesting question of like, you know, like how do you love someone that is so destructive and it you know of course it's such a cliche to be like you know music biopics are all the same i mean like it's so true though they're all the same not like <laughs> they're all rise and fall it's like you can you know there's always a bad manager there's always a suffering wife there's always you know like that whole like thing but i mean and like this you know this of course is a fictional film but it, you know it's of course it's like structured it's presented like a music documentary but um I, like how do you find that this movie kind of takes those clichés and and just makes it so like in so much more compelling and engaging than it might be if it were actually about like cuz i feel like if this were like about a real person i might just be like i roll like you know like i don't know i just i i find music biopics very tedious except for there's a a feel that i like you know but for the most part if i like them it's because of the acting or just like specific you know elements of it but but like this movie just does not have that stale feeling even though it tracks a lot of it and i think it's a lot of what you're talking about is that like the interiority of these characters is so um just uh just so wrenching, you know. This right. like, especially having, um, you know, having uh, Brian just like, you know, such a storm of a person.
1: And what's interesting too about that that you're getting the interiority is part of that is is the characters themselves are fighting so hard to keep that from you for the most part, even though most of them are being interviewed by Christian Bale's character. The you know um, wh- one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when they first go to the US and there's this um press conference that's sort of situated in a way that is done like a uh, a Victorian era drawing room but also like a circus. And there's all these reporters asking questions, and b- Brian and it's presented in this very expressionist way where he's like reading off cue cards, but all of the answers he's giving are Oscar Wilde quotes, you know, like man is yeah. least himself when he talks in his own person. Give him a mask and he'll tell you the truth. My favorite Oscar Wilde quote. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's because you you know, you were you're sitting there watching these people fight so hard against letting anyone in when desperately most of them want to let somebody in that's what mandy wanted from brian in the end her you know she she has that speech about like oh you know i think it's great that he goes to bed with men you know i get to do the same as she's talking to the assistant and then when she does catch him with kurt she realizes that's not actually what she wants and yeah you know brian has the same experience where he has this fairy tale version of going to the u.s and falling in love with this you know this composite lou reed iggy pop character who is maybe not even really mentally well and when he like gets him into a recording booth and he's just terrible he's you know he's he doesn't know how to play the game and and so it, it's everybody's fantasy sort of being crushed in a way that you don't normally get in uh in your average musical biopic and i think it's because even when musical biopics are about the setbacks in an artist's life it really wants to be about the successes and i i always find that like you know, there, there's tragedy, but then it's always about how they overcome the tragedy. And this movie isn't necessarily interested in how any of these characters are overcoming any sort of tragedy because, um, you know, it, it's, it's almost not realistic. It's not how life
0: works. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's a fantasy that is very severely grounded in reality. And it's these characters who want to live in a fantasy and are constantly grinding against the reality of it. Um, and then also on top of all of that, I think structure wise, it's what keeps it from, you know, it's it's rare that these um, musical biopics are told from an outside perspective, or if they are, you get something like Elvis, which is wild. And I, I'm not speaking for you. I have no idea how you feel about Elvis, but I know so many people who loved it. And I was like, this is not good, folks. This is really. And so, but I think the the structure of keeping Christian Bale at the center of it as both a person who's investigating this story and also re-experiencing this story as something that changed his life and formed the person he is as an adult. And it's so much fun getting to the end of the movie and actually seeing him confident and seeing him, you know, comfortable with who he is and. Having found a family and having found people who let him be who he really is, and I think that's the other thing that keeps it from it too, because you you know you're not just following the person that that is the musician or is the rock star. It's not just about their rise and fall and then eventual rise again. It's about this man who was impacted by this time in this culture. Uh, but once again, this is all because there's so much in this movie and yeah. it's crazy this movie's like two hours flat like it's not it's not like three like i basically feel like we've t- we've been talking about this movie like it's the lord of the rings but all this stuff happens in a remarkably quick
0: yeah <laughs> amount of time it's very e- economical I, I i agree and um i you know what's funny about you know about what what you're not funny but like I feel like with, like, a lot of these m- movies about, like, musicians, that was, like, my fans mean a lot to me. Or, like, my, you know, like, it talks about the, like, all oh, the impact that this had. But you don't really see it, like, with a specific person. Right. You know, like, um, I, I happen to like Elvis a little bit more than you. Not that I've seen it in last year, but... Um, <laughs> I, because I, 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 just like I like Bazerman style because I'm like you know no one's doing it like him so like let him cook you know, um, and so but for, you know for me I'm like a lot of my the like best parts of that is like when he's like performing you can like see the impact on like these girls and also on like the men around them who like are uncomfortable with that and like that you know but even then it's like you're not seeing I don't recall but like you're not seeing a specific person who's like. Music. This actually means something too, and like you don't take, you don't go with that character on on a journey, and seeing how the music is, the music and the persona and the 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 glamour of it all, how that like actually like literally affects them and like moves them forward in their life journey. And I feel like with all the goldmine, you do get that, and you have that with Christian Bale, where it's like here's a very specific person who's going through a very specific experience that is actually caused by this star persona it's not just this like you know crowd out there it's not just you know this like um uh abstract you know fandom it's actually a real person right you know and like that to me makes it more compelling to see all of the like cliches of a movie like this because it's actually like tied to someone who's learning about it as well and who is like experiencing his own self-discovery, self-actualization and, um and, and, you know, coming to terms with his identity, his sexuality, his career, his own passions and everything. And that to me, it makes it feel more palpable. And you can be like, yeah, I actually understand what I can understand, like what, you know, Brian and Kurt and Manny are actually like fighting for on the stage and fighting for like in their own homes and their lives because it's like we actually see an example of it. And that's so powerful to me.
1: Yeah, I absolutely no, I I truly agree with that. And it it's yeah, it's such a rarity. That's an interesting point about the audiences in Elvis. And maybe I should give it another shot at some point. And I, I get what you're saying by like nobody's doing it like Boz, but I still found I mean visually yeah very stunning but i still found it very like i I've, I've seen this movie and i and i mean I really, yeah, I really and i really was like no tom hanks somebody should have told you no <laughs> but
0: it's yeah i mean it's like one of a thousand like bad manager movies like love and mercy which is a movie I actually really like you know with john Cusack. oh yeah 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 um but it's, yeah, it's the same thing. And I'm sure I feel like straight out of Compton was the same where it's like always just like, I mean, you know, it's, it's always the manager, right? <laughs> um, there's a time in my life where I wanted to be a manager, not a music manager, but like for actors and then, um... and
1: then you <laughs> saw too many bad
0: music bio. <laughs> exactly. And, and like... I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. That's like, yeah, you know, I... pushing a drug addict onto a stage.
1: You're like, it's just too easy to embezzle. I can't do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly um but yeah I, I one of my favorite parts of the movie is um the scene where like uh ryan and mandy are talking about like men and women you know it's like their like breakup scene or something and um it's just like because you're talking earlier about how like they want people they want to let people in but they don't let people in and um I feel like in that scene it's like they're trying so hard to be like authentic and honest with each other but if they're also talking around each other and they're like bringing it like the way that they are bringing in all these like grand like ideas or or something it's but they're actually they're not actually talking about what's going on with them right it's always like men do this or women do that or i mean i wish i could recall the exact quotes but Uh, Maybe you can, but it's just like, I, I find that to be, it's like, it's so like theatrical as well. And, you know, it brings to me, it brings to mind of, you know, of course this movie is about performing because it's about musicians, but just like, you know, this, like um, this, like glam rock, you know, hedonistic persona is such a performance and it's, uh, it's like hard for them to like shake it off when they're not on stage. And I was like, did you, did you have that?
1: Feeling or my No, I, play I off? mean I no I think you're absolutely right I mean I think there's a lot of characters performing for each other um at all points you know and there's that great moment uh where um uh, and this is this is back further in the movie but there's that bit where like his manager played by Susie Atti- Susie Eddie Atti- Izzard she's like talking about how, You know, she the the they'll make a spectacle of it, and it's this big photo shoot. And this is normally in a movie where, because you've just been introduced to the idea of like this is Mandy Slate, this is the woman he loves, that you would be getting like a big courtship scene. And instead of getting that, you're getting this very like put on photo shoot where it's them in feather boas, and she's dressed like a you know kind of more masculine and. I I think it's really fascinating that you know the more so much more of it is about performing specifically in this film than in most musical biopics uh because you know, they're they're all so in it constantly. And that's sort of the interesting thing about Brian Slade is, you know, the this is sort of the thing that people said about David Bowie for a long time was he was the great pretender. You know, mm-hmm. he could glom on to any style or any fad that was happening and make it in his own, and then also make it seem like it was his own idea. And that's really the, you know, the the character that uh Brian Slade is, is he's this trickster character who is there to only be sort of self-servicing. And so, you know, I guess what I'm saying is what I was saying earlier about all these characters who don't actually want people to know them, that are trying so hard to keep people from knowing them. He's the one who's most successful at it. I think that's sort of what I'm getting at is like, he's the person you especially by the end of the movie you really think that you probably know the least about or got the least away with even though he is by default technically the lead of the film and so yeah there there is a hot no I don't think you're wrong by saying that there is a lot of play acting going on when it's just interpersonal relationships with these characters because that's you know his character specifically kind of engenders that uh, when he's around and i think it in a way that you know mandy was perfect for him because like i said before like she she's somebody who thought she was like him and he, that's what i think he thought he wanted at first because it allowed him to be whoever he was going to be and she would just follow suit And then he meets Kurt, who in his brain is the real deal. And so he thinks like, no, that's what I want to be. And that's what I want with me. And, you know, you can't tame a tornado. And so then he's like, fuck it. I'll leave it all behind and it becomes something else completely. And so I think, yeah, that that idea of performance as reality and why the movie's able to switch into you know performance and heightened theatrics so easily without it feeling you know sort of overbearingly jarring or or disconnected is simply because you know the this main character and the people he's chosen to surround himself with are all like that and so you kind of just have to go with them. It's almost like I, I don't want to say it's an unreliable narrator, but it's it's almost like being in the midst of several
0: unreliable narrators. I yeah, but it, they're unreliable, but they're also unreliable to themselves. Yes, so well, the most they, part. So, like, it's like yeah, um, it's like they they want to believe what they're saying, and yes. they want they want to be this honest and authentic with each other, and like. I mean, this is like what I find so fascinating about Todd Haynes' career is like how much he can play with that dichotomy and how, you know, there's so much, there's so much like, um, yeah, like play acting among his characters, like in Far From Heaven. And of course I'm not there. and Right. Um, well especially, and Carol, but,
1: especially Far From Heaven. Hey, well, Carol, yeah, actually, you know, that's a solid point where like um, Todd Haynes is really, what's interesting is you know velvet goldmine he, he's taking this idea that you know glam rock the queerness of it the the gender play of it the you know the fascinating glitter portion of it um is was a way to like fight against the the sort of heteronormativity of the time period and what he's saying with you know far from heaven and carol is that well the time period itself was convincing itself that it was something that it wasn't you know that that it is you know the the 40s and the 50s uh, i mean obviously far from heaven because it's a douglas Sirk movie and it has all those or douglas Sirk s movie it has all those trappings of it but it's like well this is the you know this is the play and and all's not what you see going on underneath, and what's funny is in Velvet Goldmine, uh, a lot of it is is it's like we're putting we're putting this act on to avoid having to fall into the trap of society being like, well, society's like this and society's like that, and so it's interesting that it's it's people trying to build their own world, whether they truly believe it or not.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, and and. I find that to be um I mean that's just like one of my favorite things about him is like how he can like glean all like all these different self-contradicting feelings and 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 and, and you know like um feelings and, and sort of like the um you know hypocrisy of these different time periods and how, you know, they project and they are, you know, so closed off and, and wanting to pretend, you know, wanting to be something they're not. And um, that kind of brings me to like, next thing I want to talk about is, um, you know, as, and I was doing some research on this movie, which I rarely, very rarely do, but um, because it's such a topic that I don't know much about, I'm not really a music person. I definitely don't know much about, you know, glam rock era. Um, but, you know, one thing I read that was kind of interesting is kind of like this movie's relationship between like the movie, this movie depicts a relationship between like America and England in terms of like their music. And of course, you know, um, this movie, that's like a major theme or a major plot point of the movie. And, um, you know i don't know if you have any insights about that but um if you do i'd love to hear it because i don't you know I, all i know is the british invasion and that's all i know but like how that plays into like this movie or, or whatever i'd love to just kind of dig into that well, a little
1: well it's really funny because you know like i mean it's probably been discussed ad nauseum at this point but you know rock and roll originated it as African American music, and it it comes from that, and it eventually gets taken by white people. And and but the funny thing, I I like the fact that your uh, entry point is the British invasion, but the British invasion doesn't happen without you know rock and roll being invented here. So there is a a passing back and forth, and mm-hmm. um, this movie obviously like heavily early influence. Little Richard is a great example and you know he called himself one of the originators of rock and roll but he's was also an incredibly queer artist even though he spent many years going back and forth about whether he was actually gay or you know i think i'm, I'm pretty sure i just watched the documentary about him which i didn't love but i thought had some interesting stuff in it um but you know, I think when he died, he unfortunately was on the swing of like I wasn't gay, like I've, I've now I've repented all that. But you know, good golly, Miss Molly, uh, and uh, uh, wow, I've already I've forgotten the one that's in this movie, Tutti Fruity. Tutti Fruity mm-hmm. was a gay song, you know, and he yeah. changed the lyrics and he popularized it. And so the origins of rock and roll are not just Black, but they're also queer. And so the, there's a fascinating element of that. And that's probably a larger topic than you know what you're looking for on this podcast. But so you have that element and then you do have the trading. you know, rock and roll goes and it ends up in Britain. And obviously the Beatles are the famous ones, but there were several other bands that were doing similar things and it comes back to the U.S. and men are wearing you know the the mop top haircut which is people fear is feminine and and it and it really does go back and forth like that i think mostly because we're the two or two of the largest english-speaking white you know countries in the world and the the unfortunate history of the world is that english-speaking white people write a lot of it and um And so I think that's that's where the idea of this relationship between Britain and the U.S. and the sort of moving back and forth, um, you know, the glam rock did exist here. Um, I I do think that a lot of it, uh, you know, a lot of it does come from England and and Britain, and you have like T Rex and you have David Bowie and. but you know, we we did have our own. I mean, like the band Sweet, like was basically a bunch of straight guys pretending to be gay, essentially for, to fit in. And so that that element did exist. But I I do think you know, particularly glam rock, um, finds its place, uh, you know, from England, and then you know comes to America, and it it moves through sort of several um variations after that i mean cuz you you end up having you know punk coming out of england and then disco you know entering america and the whole backlash to disco and then you know post punk which comes out of that you know all, and the thing that people never seem to draw the parallel of and maybe music historians do and i just don't know enough of them but the obvious parallel in the united states that like you know when punk happened and then moved into post punk glam rock sort of became the kind of 80s power ballad like what i what i often refer to as cock rock with the like the big hair and the guitars yeah. and the like the deaf leopards and the guns and roses of the world and um you know the kiss the theatrical and so it is this interesting trading back and forth and that everybody kind of puts their stamp on the music, but yeah, it it truly does start uh, as a black art form and then very quickly a queer art form because it was much like being queer underground. And once something goes mainstream and it gets flattened by, you know, everybody's want to make it more generic then you, you know, you sort of, end up with you know the tommy stones of the world in place of the brian Slades.
0: so i mean i appreciate that that uh explanation because it it puts into context a lot about at least this movie and in terms of its like you know queerness and and all that but You know, a lot of those acts you mentioned towards like in the 80s, like Kiss or whatever, those feel very straight to me. And I feel like I'm I'm wondering when or how, I mean, I guess I kind of know the answer, but like how this became so straightwashed, you know? And like, I mean, I I know how, because it became mainstream (laughs) and then, you know, whatever. But um, I like that Velvet Goldmine is has its clearness front and center and makes it an actual thing because that to me you know like the I don't I don't see much difference between like Lamrock, that whole persona and like drag or something or like right. you know how like this you know David Bowie Bowie of course is like um, you know gender fluid and you know he's there's I, I mean I, I don't I'm not assigning him that identity I'm just saying that like his persona was just so like um, that androgynous you yeah. know, but very sexy thing. And then just like when I look at like KISS and I'm like, you know, not that I know that much about Kiss either, but like my, you know, to me they like that's like 80s to come, you know, or like <laughs> you know, like they were such a like a running joke on family guy. And so it's just like um I feel like somewhere along the way that like what makes somewhere along the way like the queerness got lost. And I like that this movie is about that origin or is about the, like the tradition of this, you know, gender fluidity, sexual freedom. And, um, you know, you know, like, the, like the gay sex of it all is yeah. front and center <laughs> of this movie. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't really have a point. I was just like, it just makes me kind of sad and a little mad that like, you know, this whole history of music, I don't know. And, um, and my perception of it is so different from what the reality was, and it's just because it got erased, you know. And and that's very true. I mean, and yeah,
1: I mean, the, I I obviously don't know like what the what the real catalyst was of like it becoming much more straight, but you you are correct, and that's exactly what I was saying by like you know the the culture eventually yeah gets flattened, and that's you know the I mean for years people and this is a a small detour but you know for years people would talk about like oh yeah like punks hated disco uh and it just seemed like oh that was just a thing that like punks hated disco Mm -hmm. but if you like look at the the culture and the time disco was heavily black heavily queer and it was homophobia and racism and yeah. that's re that's really what it was and so i mean that's sort of what i imagine i'm i and listen this is not me blaming women i don't think women actually had a hand in this or you know especially the time period i i think a lot of women were being fed whatever the same thing that men were being fed but i also think a lot of women were very attracted to the david bowie's of the world or the mark bolins of t-rex and the idea that they were you know slightly feminine or androgynous and i think what ended up happening is a lot of men saw that as like a oh, women like that that's a way in and that's exactly what i was saying about the band Sweet. which once again i'm not trying to shit on sweet ballroom blitz great track but like ballroom blitz literally begins with them being like are you ready steve Uh uh-huh are you ready okay and it's like mincing for the fact that they thought that you know being gay would make them popular and so i think it is that as i think part of it is is like oh was this thing that was popular how can we find a way to to take it and make it into something more mainstream and you're right like kiss i feel bad i don't want to shit on kiss that much even though they're, they're not somebody i not a band i particularly like um they've got one good song whatever but they but like i think what that is is you know the the sort of bad faith representation of something like that and then they're able to take the music and turn it into something else and make it more profitable for them because it you know it becomes something that's more for a mainstream audience and not for a queer audience uh and i know that's a whole like huge sidetrack from velvet goldmine but i also do think that they're you know there's shades of that in the end i mean that the the thing that they're sort of fighting against in the end and i i never truly think of this movie as incredibly mean to david bowie because i know it's not really about him i know that the you know this this character of brian slade is you know like 90 percent him some mark boland from t-rex some uh you know brian eno a little bit and then the character of kurt wilde is is like this compositive iggy pop and uh wow his this never happens to me except for when i'm on a podcast the um the lead singer of the Velvet Underground, like, uh, Tom, uh, uh Lou Reed. Wow. Lou Reed. Yeah. And, uh, it, but I do think that Todd Haynes maybe has a little umbrage with David Bowie about the fact that in the eighties, he did truly reinvent himself into a more palatable pop star. You know the thin white Duke persona. This uh, idea that he was wearing white suits and he was a romantic, and and I think that you know Todd Haynes, when it comes to the end of this movie, is really playing with that idea. He takes it to it complete extreme because there's the moment where the the Tommy character is asked about you know what what do you think that uh you know this this president is doing and it's a president whose name begins with r but they don't say ronald reagan i think just to like keep it out of the reality and he's like oh he's a great guy a great leader and i'm like oof no like that's that's not david bowie at all but i, I think i think you know todd ains is i don't think he hides his anger or when it comes to that sort of thing and the idea that like you know these underground things can never last. I mean, look at the kids that Christian Bale encounters at the end of the movie. He, I think he sees himself in them, but like they're very straight-laced looking. Like they're mm-hmm. not wearing makeup. They're just like pop star fans. And I I think that's, you know, there is an element of that in this film as well too. the romance of that era is no longer because it's been made to service the masses
0: yeah yeah and i mean i you know i i feel that um the anger in this movie comes out to me a lot especially you know especially given this context uh because i you know yeah i do think that you know the, those kids are like you know, they're there to kind of represent what you're talking about. And, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't really, I'm not going to pretend to know what's going on between Todd Haynes and David Bowie, but I do think, (laughs) but I do think that it's kind of interesting how, you know, um, you know, how this movie kind of plays with, um sexuality and and romance and how it's there's just so much um complexity there and I, I i you know i and i feel that it's like kind of reclaiming that um the fluidity of it and the like you know the the honesty of of what that means and actually like playing it out i mean i don't i don't know david bowie's personal life but i always imagine that like he was very, that was his persona, But like in his real life, he was straight. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But well, that's... no,
1: I mean, that. I mean that's a It's a huge sticking point with a lot of David Bowie fans because he, like, he came out in an interview very much like Brian Slade does. Yeah. You know, he said he was bisexual, and then he kind of walked it back. And then years later, somebody asked about it, and he was like, listen, I said what I said in that interview. Like, what do you want, essentially? And so it's like, you know, how much... Of that was honest because his you know his major relationships in his life were with women and you know between you know his actual wife um i'm losing her name um uh
0: was it amanda bowie is that um i mean that would know, be I very funny if i was like amanda and the character here is mandy <laughs>
1: yeah i was i was like did did he actually go as far as today <laughs> no it's angie bowie there it is okay. um uh, between angie bowie and iman and i i tr- you know i truly think he loved them and then also you know uh angie bowie did write a tell-all and she very much implied like you know, that she caught him in bed a couple different times with men, um, including uh and this is this is uh secondhand information, please don't sue me for libel, but like including like McJagger and whatnot. So like th- you know, there the world will never know. And the it's probably within the unless something radically changes in the next 20 years about the way we think about sexuality and gender, which would be nice, um, it probably behooves the Bowie estate not to really... I mean, say what you will, I loved... Uh, I did absolutely love the Bowie documentary that came out, the Brett Morgan one, Moon Age Daydream, but mm-hmm. like, it's very much a like Bowie estate stamp sealed approval version of Bowie's life. And I thought it was very beautiful and very artistic, but like it's you know it's probably the best we're ever gonna get and yeah yeah and it and it doesn't it doesn't really ever like i said you know unless something really drastic changes with our society which would be really cool and i'd be very happy with it i i think we'll never truly know and uh, you know like i said it's a it's kind of a big sticking point because people are, are like you know had he really stuck guns blazing like had he been open with men in public like how would that have changed things for us? Or would it have ruined his career? And I, you know, who knows, who knows what it would have who actually knows? done.
0: Yeah. I mean, not to invoke this travesty, but I, after watching Bohemian Rhapsody, I just cannot, <laughs> like, I just cannot stomach a state approved. I get that, you know, it's... biographies and it's, I'm sure the moon is daydream is great. And I've heard, you know, quite it's, I've heard a lot of people that I really respect like herself really liked it. So I'm sure that it overcomes that, but I just feel like I'm not saying that I want to hear like all, I don't want to hear something. I want to see like, right. You're not looking subjects. for like a trashy
1: tell all. Yeah. But you're, right. You're, but, but you're more interested in the truth. And I kind of that. like,
0: uh, just some kind of like raw honesty. And yeah. I feel like because Bohemian Rhapsody was so nakedly dishonest, yeah um i just to me it just left a really bad taste in my mouth and i just can't i can't get over that hump um especially about a topic that i really don't have a lot of external interested in, like music um right you know where, like i love i love velvet goldmine of course because it's a todd haynes movie and that's what this is what he chose to make and so it interests me but you know a lot of the context you're explaining to me I, i'm appreciating because i don't know any of it um and um a lot of my understanding of this stuff is just from like half memories of things that I may have read or heard from in class or had explained to me by some annoying guy <laughs> at a bar. Where I'm like, I don't me, care about me. I'm music. the annoying guy at the bar right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I meant straight guy. because I, I have this thing when straight people, straight guys talk about music. I just cannot like, I just like, please get a life. <laughs> yes.
1: I I've been there. I 100% understand that. Um but no, I mean and and once again like I you know this is just the way my brain works. I love researching this stuff and, yeah, and yeah. especially if it's about somebody I love. I will say this once again about Moon Age Daydream uh because it is done so artistically. Um I think it's much more interesting than um for being something up. But it's so funny because speaking of Todd Haynes, Todd Haynes 2 years ago released a velvet underground documentary and uh it's really good and very comprehensive but it's done in a very different way you know it's literally um archival footage on the right and talking heads on the left and for the most of the movie very split screen uh i really enjoyed that but i it's so funny i had a friend of mine be like oh i didn't really like moon age daydream i felt like that Velvet Underground documentary was the movie it really wanted to be. And I was like, absolutely not. I was like, they're very different. I was like, the like there are points at Moon Age Daydream when it's not even narrative, it's just images. Like,
0: yeah, th- that's yeah. a
1: very different beast than having actual talking heads on screen being like, and here's my opinion on this. Which once again, I'm not saying I really liked the Velvet Underground documentary, but I think they're, you know, far and away very different. That being said, sorry, I, that was a whole sidetrack, but I, I agree with you. Like, no, I, I asked you for the sidetrack. Um,
0: <laughs> well, and uh, kind of going back to velvet gold mine, I wanted to like, kind of talk more about the, the filmmaking itself. I mean, we talked a little bit about, about the structure, um, but the film was shot by, uh, Mary's Maurice Alberti. A, I think a very trailblazing woman cinematographer who, uh, shot movies like Creed and The Visit and um a lot of really great classic movies that and you'd be like movies where you'd be surprised that it was someone not as household namey as (laughs) that shot it. Um but I was wondering what if you had any specific moments um that stood out to you in terms of the visuals or um anything like that.
1: Well I mean I I truly just love the look of the movie and it, it does switch quite a bit. It switches Film stocks, it switches uh, aspect ratios. You know, I love all the, the when it goes into the like really square Academy aspect ratios during like photo shoots and stuff. But I think my favorite um, and has always been maybe my favorite scene, and it's not because of the sex, but uh, there is a <sighs> sex scene between Christian Bale and um, Ewan McGregor uh, as it's raining glitter on them. Yeah. And it yeah. transitions um into this video uh of brian slade doing uh the song tumbling down and it it looks like the set of a grand opera it looks like he's just been dropped into like the third act of tales of hoffman and but he's like covered in glitter and he's like dropping the the glitter itself and that whole sequence is so beautiful to me and one of the things i love about it too is it's not afraid to for as grand and beautiful as that set is it's not afraid to like point out that it is artificial that it is not it's not a real grand staircase. it's not a real you know it's it's all fantasy it feels um very technicolor it feels very um powell pressburger and that to me has always been like the my that key moment and then also uh and uh now that i've said that and now that i'm like oh my favorite moment in the movie um something that i've often said is one of my favorite moments in cinema ever which it, it sounds like i'm saying it's over this well, regardless um my two favorite moments then i guess <laughs> um the when it cuts to christian bale's memory of the goodbye to glam rock concert the death of glitter concert when she's like this is the last time i saw him it was uh when i last time i saw kurt wild and he has the memory and it cuts to um the the one uh my brain's i wish my brain was was better um it cuts to the jack ferry character giving like a eulogy and then the banner drops and it says you know death the glitter And it cuts to, and it's literally the band Placebo doing uh, T-Rex's 20th Century Boy. And just that, like, it's a sudden close-up of the lead singer's hands clapping. And then this, like, quick zoom to Christian Bale's face and then right into the song. And it's one of those moments that, like takes my breath away every time i see it because i'm just like (gasps) like it's just yeah a a true cinematic moment for me um so yeah i think i honestly think her cinematography is so gorgeous and it's so funny to like um you know i i've i've seen other movies of her you know like you mentioned creed but like and obviously she's a working cinematographer so i'm not getting mad at her for taking any jobs but just like she also was a cinematographer on hillbilly elegy and she also she just did Jerry and Marge Go Large, which came out last year and went straight to Paramount Plus and it's like, oh, we need to treat these people better,
0: yeah, um I'm, I love looking at cinematographer careers because, yeah, like you go from like Creed and the wrestler to whatever that you just mentioned um, <laughs> it's it's wild, but um, I, you know I really do like her cinematography because I feel like she. Like i actually kind of just love like how like the graininess of like in the opening when they're doing like the interviews and it's like you mcgregor is like you know talking about like bisexuality or, or like how like um like he's being interviewed oh yeah um, his like
1: and his his like pre um uh rock star
0: yeah and version it's like of his character i remember like watching it being like i just do a double take i was like oh wait that's the star of the movie and he's not being introduced <laughs> in any. Meaningful way, but just like as like a random, you know, like talking head for a newscast or whatever. But I love that with Mister BBC. That's my
1: my favorite. I love that he's credited as that, and I love that the like (laughs) other. And it's literally just because one character's like, "Yeah, I'm bisexual, Mister BBC."
0: um it's you know it's not funny like uh christian bale being in this movie is very funny to me because like it's hard for me to reconcile like this christian bale with like you know i mean i love christian bale my favorite actors you know but reconciling like this christian bale like you know glammed up having gay sex all that with like you know (laughs) yeah like um, batman and like um david the, russell's muse for a bit and whatever yeah. he's doing now big short it's like it's so crazy to me
1: i i think that honestly like i think the same thing i when i watch this movie i'm always like oh this is the christian bale i miss. like this yeah. is
0: this well, is the one kind i of like what you're mentioning about like little rich like how these like um glam rock stars are kind of like tone down and become more like mainstream and like you know i think ewan mcgregor is still doing wild stuff so like you know more power to him but like um yeah oh Oh, no go on
1: go on no go on but you just made me think of something
0: yeah no it's just like i mean it's just funny how like even like like a lot i feel like a lot of actors who kind of came up in europe or like or even in america and like the 90s like doing all this like crazy stuff and they just as they become more famous it's like they really do tone down the risks they take even as they're growing their talent and their awards but it's like I can't, I just cannot imagine Christian Bale doing a movie like this now. Like
1: and, and that's what what you just made me realize and what's interesting to me too and like I don't know any of these people personally. I'm a big fan of most of them. But uh it, but it is interesting to think about like oh the people in the movie who couldn't deal with faking it like the Ewan and McGregors and the um the Mandy the, the Tony Collette's of the world are the people that are still really trying to take the interesting roles and do the interesting things and the people that were more like into the fantasy the jonathan reese myers and the and the christian Bale character which like his character does reconcile in the end with the idea that like he's more confident and it's, it's more real for him yeah uh but like they feel like the people who are taking less chances when they
0: sign on for a movie. Jonathan Rhys-Meyers, like I had a whole moment with him because, um, I was a big fan in high school of the movie match point. Like, okay. That that I watched like a hundred times in high school, big Scarlett Johansson fan, still am. But, um, I have not seen Jonathan Rhys-Meyers movie in since then. I feel like, (laughs) and I was looking at his letterbox page and I was like, well, not his page, but like his credits and I was like, wow, he's done like 30 movies that I've never heard of. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, not that I'm like clamoring for a comeback for him, but. But no, um, but but he's um, not it's, a it's, bad actor. So it's just, like, it... It's just strange that like, yeah, he had a good run for a while, like from this movie through Matchpoint or I guess the Tudors was like his last major thing that I remember of it. It's like, where is he? yeah i I mean maybe i don't know but i I think he's great in this movie i really loved his performance um but the
1: the only thing i will say about him um and once again i'm I'm trying not to spoil the movie yeah but uh he apparently in some interview in gq or something said that he wishes they had done the ending different because he doesn't think it's clear enough and baby if you don't think this ending is clear (laughs)
0: like
1: i it's one of those things where i'm like are how thick are you to not yeah. understand what todd haynes is saying yeah, with yeah. this character like yeah um yeah. i think i just think that's really funny like oh yeah no that's too confusing and it's like confusing for you maybe <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's i mean I I always kind of take those interview quotes with like a little bit of grain of salt because I always am kind of like, well, what's marketing spin? What's right. Like, I don't know the context of that interview. Like, was he trying to promote it or, or It seems like it
1: was, or was he trying to
0: distance himself from it? Actually. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I don't want to put that out there because I I don't think I, I mean, I would be curious, like this movie is now 25 years old. Right. Um, and, you know, with Todd Haynes, I think getting, becoming more and more, you know, famous or whatever um, after Carol. And now his movie that was just like can, which uh, looks really amazing.
1: Yeah. It's opening um, New York film festival.
0: Yes. I'm excited about that. So I feel like if like once I think Todd Haynes, like you know, once he kind of has like a, he continues to kind of grow his like moment. And um, I would really curious for this movie to kind of get a resurgence because I think it's themes about sexuality and gender and queerness are only becoming more and more relevant now. And it's so formally radical and all the performances and the, and the filmmaking are, you know, amazing and, and just like, you know, perfect and everything, um, I would really want to see this movie get a resurgence. And I kind of hope that like criterion or someone, one of those labels picks it up and kind of gives it a showcase because. Yeah, I mean, more people should be watching this movie. I, I think it does a, I think it does a lot of things correct, and I think it's so. It only becomes more and more interesting the more you think about it and watch it.
1: Yeah, it's always and once again, I, I think it's because you know, it's, it's so. There's so many ideas and whatnot, but I just, I, I always wonder why this one just wasn't received as much. I mean, maybe it's. Maybe it's too queer, <laughs> maybe it's yeah. too, or or maybe it's just too much for some people, but it's truly one of my favorite of his films. Uh absolutely. I know when we did our U McGregor episode, I gave this my five-star review because mm-hmm. I love his performance yeah. in it. And yeah, like I, I would also love to see a resurgence of Velvet Goldmine. I th- I think it deserves it. And uh, it obviously can can't be the specter of Bowie, because if it was the specter of Bowie, um it would have actually maybe had a resurgence already um so i yeah i i hope more people discover it more people fall in love with it because it's just a truly beautiful film and i do i'm gonna stand by that i
0: do think it's a romance still (laughs) yeah i mean it is for sure i mean it's definitely um yeah, I mean it's it's about at, at its heart, it's about relationships and how to make them work and how hard it can be and you know, and yeah, I I agree and, and it's a very I, I think it's a, a movie that inspires a lot of feelings of um and like it's not that it's like a, you know, warm and happy movie, but it does you do feel very like satisfied after seeing it and there's such a like especially because the christian bale scenes are so powerful and his yeah self-discovery is so palpable it's like you have that feeling of like he's really finding himself and to me that is that's the greatest love of all you know um i, I gotta ask before we finish up what are your thoughts on i'm not there because i feel like that's another one that also got kind of a mixed reaction a movie that i love but yeah um you know it's i but i feel like it got also a similar kind of like tepid and cold reaction and i don't know if it's gotten the resurgence that it deserves yet either um
1: yeah i don't know if it's ever gotten a resurgence that deserves ice i remember going to um what is that what great now now it sounds like i'm lying um the the um <laughs> i can never remember the name of the the like little Cinematheque that's down near West Forth. not the IFC center, but the other.
0: Oh um, gosh. Uh, film forum. Wow. Yeah. Film I film,
1: remember going yeah. to see it at film forum and just falling absolutely in love with it. I admittedly have not rewatched it as much. And I think part of that is, is like uh, in general, I'm not as interested in Bob Dylan as, but I think it's fascinating and I do think it's really good. I really love it. I remember Really falling in love with and listening to the um, Jim Jones cover of "Going to Acapulco" so much when the soundtrack came out, mm-hmm. the the Richard Gear portion. And I know a lot of people don't like the Richard Gear portion, but I just think it's so weird and so like beautiful to look at. And I, uh, yeah, but I'm I'm a big fan of "I'm Not There." Uh, I you know I th- I think the last time I heard anybody bring it up in any sort of, um, context was somebody talking about how, like, uh, Cate Blanchett's performance as him was like too much. And I'm like, I don't know if that's,
0: if that's too much, I want more of it. You know, that's (laughs) right. Um, I do think it's interesting that the Tanya's movies that seem to get the most praise and warm reception are the ones that are about women. Yeah, And uh, I mean, I'm not there. I do count it as a queer movie because of the gender bending, but um, I don't think it's, I haven't watched it in a while, but I don't really think it's as gay as this movie is, of course.
1: No, but certainly not.
0: I do think that's interesting. And a possible note to end on is like, hmm, why is that? Um, because I, I, I think it's somewhat tied to this, like, you know, I, I think people think of Todd Haynes as like, pastiche and parody and camp yeah and um sort
1: of sort of unfairly and like
0: i agree i think it's somewhat homophobic to be honest that that's his reputation and and like
1: he's very good like he he loves a reference and he loves you know the but like yeah i i actually agree with you i think it's i think it's a little unfair just to label him that and partially just because he's gay can i tell you my favorite i think i've probably told this on every podcast i've ever been on i feel like but uh my favorite todd haynes moment which is um his mildred pierce uh mini series oh
0: yeah i almost uh, forget about that i love that one
1: it's so good uh i made the mistake of watching it with my mom and my sister and i think it's like the third or fourth episode uh guy pierce goes down on kate winslet at one point mm-hmm. and that's that bit ended <laughs> My mom just goes, oh, that's not realistic. And my sister goes, yeah, it's never that quick. And I was <laughs> like, I can't. I was like, I need you two to stop.
0: <laughs> that's yeah. really funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's another one that I think gets labeled like pastiche camp. But I remember seeing some interview where he was like, we didn't talk about camp at all when making May, December. And that was like the one people always said about it. I can And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't seem oh, to me. I feel like he doesn't... I mean, camp is like a word that means nothing anymore now that straight people have discovered it.
1: Right. Well, um, I mean, straight people are constantly using it wrong, too. Yeah. That's the the thing that drives me... They use me it to the, mean,
0: like, this is bad that I like it, so I'm going to call it camp. Yes. When I'm, you can just say you like it, and, and uh, you'll be fine. Um, but yeah. Anyway, unless there's anything that you want to bring up, but I really do appreciate the conversation the history lesson and of course having you on the podcast and getting the chance to talk to you again
1: oh i thank you so much hopefully i did not ramble too much i always i'm always nervous when i'm on somebody else's podcast that i'm just (laughs) rambling hopefully i'm very hopefully you got something out of it
0: (laughs) well i i did for sure and uh you know you had me on talking about (laughs) angli (laughs) <laughs> so like I can I can't judge Ramble because I'm sure that I've talked a lot about that I love, about him. I love that episode. I love, I love so... Ramble, so do I. I mean, I love a <laughs> Ramble. Um I love a long podcast. So I'm I'm really glad that I'm I'm glad that, you know, that this turned out the way it did because it, it was really I, I really do value a lot of the insights you provided because I don't know anything about music. You know, I'm such a not music <laughs> guy. Um unless it's like Beyoncé, you know. Oh, worthwhile! I mean, that's she's yeah, worth knowing about. I've always felt that like if someone would do Beyonce biopic, it would have to be like I'm I'm not there type yeah. thing with all of her different. I agree. And stuff because there's no way to really capture her as that's, like one straight you know biopic.
1: Yeah, I I I like Casey Lemons, uh, but I've I've still not watched the Whitney Houston biopic because I kind of oh. feel the same
0: way where yeah, it's just yeah. like. You, yeah. can't, you can't do it. I mean, that is just the Spotify playlist as a movie, to be honest. Yeah, that's what I uh, I haven't seen it, but that's the vibe I got from it, considering the title um, and the trailer. <laughs> um, but anyway, enough about that. Um, Gavin, please tell listeners where they can find you, what you're working on and anything you'd like to share
1: sure um my name as mentioned up top is gavin mevious i'm a co-host of a podcast called the mixed reviews we we are a bi-weekly film podcast uh where we sort of take a maximalist look at um a film career whether it be an actor director or sometimes we even do mini genres such as like whodunits and road movies and uh, it's a lot of fun it's a lot of work and I, I hope the listeners really enjoy it we we really enjoy my co-host louis and i enjoy playing off of each other a lot and uh, you know I, I like saying that it's a maximalist because i feel like there's not a lot of podcasts that are out there doing that and so like hopefully that comes through we might be going through some restructuring. Who knows? I'm not saying too much right now because we still need to talk about it. But uh, but yeah, the, stay tuned for um, updates on that. But you can find the Mixed Reviews on any podcast app, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Though I heard Stitcher's going away. Sad. Oh, um, no yeah i know don't want to lose that part of my <laughs> stream <laughs> uh, but uh you, yeah you can find us there and i guess while twitter is still up and still active and not a nazi playground uh you can tweet at us at, at the mixed reviews or you can find me at my twitter which is at friendless mean which is how i plan to die someday
0: god <laughs> I, I i always love that i think it's very funny that you say that um <laughs> Like, can I just give, I just want to give the rundown of your previous episodes because it was like hit after hit after hit, okay? He goes, Goldie Hahn, then Adam Driver, then Michelle Rodriguez, then Pam Greer, then Anna Paquin. Like, yeah. this is like, this is the kind of content that is on the speed. So definitely please listen to that. <laughs> At least that series of episodes is like, banger after banger
1: oh thanks so much because um, i i was beginning to get i'm like i don't even know if people are listening to these episodes
0: anymore so like yeah thank you well appreciate you, you at least have one fan <laughs> um and we sorry. cherish you <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on twitter at vertigate 314 also follow the podcast at iPod to be you and Runchu to rate review and subscribe Gavin, thanks so much. This has been a pleasure. You know, I love talking about Todd Haynes and I love this movie and I love uh, talking to you. So thanks thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much. And and seriously, thank you for inviting me. And once again, you're obviously always welcome on The Mixed Reviews. And it's so great to be able to talk with you. So I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Uh, Yes. I mean, I would love to come back, please. Anytime. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening.